to begin this morning, I was want to ask the question, how many of you remember, uh, it was about, uh, looked it up the, actually a little over a year ago, the miners in Chile that got trapped down in the mine. That story was really big about a year ago. If you remember what happened, they were, um, actually read this, this day, 2,300 feet underground. And it was a, a three mile long spiral all the way down to where they were and the, the entrance collapsed and they couldn't get out. And it ended up taking, I think, 69 days before they could get them all out. And it was a huge story for a long time. And I was kind of reflecting on this uh, this morning and this week as I was thinking about what we're going to talk about today. And that story of how uh, hopeless that situation looked for a long time there. And that they had no possibility to escape on their own. And they were completely reliant on all the people working around the clock to get them out. And as I thought about that, as we are in our series, we've been we've been doing this series, the story, the big idea we've been moving through, starting right in Genesis and the big idea of Scripture and what it points to and where where it all is going and what our story is in light of what the story of Scripture says, God's story. And I thought about the Chilean miners is a wonderful picture of what we're going to look at today, because where we are is we've, we've hit Genesis one, two and three. And now we're in Genesis four through eleven today, four through eleven. And what we see is in that in that section of scripture is under our sin. We're just like the miners. There's nothing in and of ourselves that we can do to save ourselves. We're completely at God's mercy. And that's what starts to unfold in Genesis four through eleven. If you've been with us in this series, I'm just going to go back real briefly. The very first week we looked at when we hit in Genesis one, we talked about how the story, the main part of all of human history, all the story is about God. It all points to him and him alone. It's him. And it's all about him. He is the central uh, thing in all the universe. All of it revolves around him. And we talked about that the first week. And then the second week, we talked about who we are as man. We're made in God's image and we're made to center around him. We're made to glorify him in all things. Our lives are supposed to reflect back who he is by trusting him and loving him and caring for him. And then last week we got to Genesis 3 and we see that uh, in Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, they decided that they weren't going to do that. Right? Sin enters the world. We decide to take the story that's all about God and make it about us. Right? They decide uh, when they eat from the tree that they will be the ultimate decider of what is good and evil and not God anymore. And they reject him. And that's what we saw the last few weeks. Now, next week, uh, we're going to hit into Genesis 12 and we're going to start uh, in a lot of ways looking at God's rescue mission of all mankind. That's what we're going to hit on next week. But this week, right in between Genesis 4 through 11, what we're going to look at is we're going to see uh, really our, the full weight of our sin and our standing apart from Christ. And uh, as I say that this morning, and I tell you, that's what we're going to talk about. We're really going to talk about the depths of our depravity and our sin. That can be kind of a downer. You go, oh, well, great. <laughs> I'm so glad I got here to hear the depths of my sin and, and, and really look at that. But there's a couple reasons that we're going to do that. And, and I want to give you just a couple reasons before we even get into it, because I don't want you to check out and go, oh, this is we're really going to talk about sin. But th- there's a couple reasons I want us to do it. And, and simply the first being this is the way God has revealed his word. Right. The, fir- the first couple of weeks we looked at Genesis one and two. That's creation and purpose. Genesis three is our rebellion, or our fall. And then Genesis four through eleven. Um, when I learned overview of the Bible, we used to talk about it's the spread of sin. I think an even better way to say it is the completeness or the depth of sin in mankind. And what you see in Genesis 4 through 11 is it's, it's spread all throughout. All, 
all people and all things. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But the second reason that we really need to stop and and really uh, think about this and talk about it for a few minutes is simply this, that we need to see accurately who we are apart from Christ. Because if we don't, otherwise we start to turn to remedies that don't really fix the problem. If we don't see who we really are clearly, we can't fix the problem right. Uh, I'll give you an example. If, if you get shot in the arm and you go, well, there's just a little hole, I'll just put a Band-Aid over it. Right? Or it's just, all it is is a hole, right? That you're not assessing the, the problem there fully. And so your remedy is not going to fix that problem. And it's the same thing with our sin. We need to see who we are apart from Christ fully to get to the remedy correctly, to see it rightly. And then the third part is, that we need to understand the depths of our sin and our depravity because when we do, we then see the heights and the beauty of God's grace. And if we don't see that fully, we don't see what he's done for us fully. So that's really the reasons we're going to talk about this. And I want you to think about that. I want you even to be focusing a little bit on that last part that we see the, the fullness of his grace and his beauty through this. So as we walk through this, and some of this is a little heavy and kind of hard at first to, when we talk about sin, but keep, keep saying that. Keep, keep that in mind, that this is a good thing because it leads us to see God more clearly and his grace more beautifully. Okay, so that's, that's what we're doing this morning, and that's how we're going to go through it. Now, we could do, I thought about this a lot, how we could do this. Genesis 4 through 11, we could pick some different passages. Remember what we're doing in the series of the story. We're doing basically an overview of redemptive history. So we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. Actually, we're going to cover essentially Genesis 4 through 11 this morning. We spent the last three weeks, one chapter at a time. Now we're speeding up a little. And I kept thinking of different ways we could do that in 4 through 11. And instead of trying to do that, I'm just going to give you a quick overview of some things that happened in that chapter. But then we're going to spend or those chapters and then we're going to spend our time in Romans chapter 3. Because what Paul says in Romans chapter 3 really uh, gives us a very good theological background, a good understanding of what's taking place in Genesis 4 through 11. So that's how we're going to do it this morning. But in Genesis 4 through 11, if you're not familiar with it, maybe you haven't read it recently, let me just give you real quickly. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, the first murder. Right? We see murder happen almost immediately. So Adam and Eve are removed from the garden, their sin has entered, and and then we see the first murder. And then you get to Genesis 6, and God's telling Noah to build the ark because he's going to bring a flood because the sin is so great. And you see in Genesis 6 on the front side of the flood, in Genesis 8 on the back side of it, there's, there's two statements there that God makes, and they're almost identical. And he says that man is evil continually in his thoughts, even from his youth. And what you get is this picture of that sin has so invaded and so come into us and so overtaken us that our thoughts are continually evil even from our youth. And you get that in Genesis 6 and 8. And then you get to Genesis 11 and the story of the Tower of Babel, if you know that story. They decide to build a huge tower up to the sky. And if you, the, the important thing to hit on right there is their reason for doing so is so that we may make a name for ourselves. Right? And that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The sin that entered is when we turn from God and we make our, the story about us instead of about God. And we see that so clearly in Genesis 11 when they say, let us do this for our, our glory. Let's make it all about us and what we can do. And so you get this picture of uh, the sin that is so pervasive in all humans. So that's what we're going to look at this morning in Romans chapter 3. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along with us, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 20. 
And I know we're jumping from last week, we're in Genesis 3, and now we're in Romans 3, so we're <laughs> big jump there, right? Paul writing after Christ, way, way after Genesis. Uh, let me just give you real quickly, before we, get, we jump in and read these verses, what Paul's doing. Right? In Romans, starting in verse 18 of chapter 1, through the passage we're looking at today, Paul basically makes his case that we're all sinful. He goes right through and he hits, he does very systematically, he argues about how we're all sinful and we've all fallen. And what you see is he starts really in chapter 1 about the irreligious, those that aren't religious, that don't, don't go to church, don't read the Bible, whatever. He says they're guilty too. And he gives his reasons why you're guilty whether you've heard God's word or not. And then he turns to the Jews or the religious and he says they're guilty. They've got the word and they can't keep it. And then he comes to this emphatic statement at the end of chapter 3 that really shows the depths of our sinfulness. So let's read that together. Romans 3, we're going to look at verses 9 through 20 together. And it says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have, all, we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of, the peace, of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Let's pray and then we're going to look at that passage together this morning. Dear Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this wonderful letter that you inspired Paul to write that so clearly shows our position apart from Christ. I pray this morning that you impress upon our hearts uh, exactly what that position is apart from Jesus' saving work. And that in doing so, that uh, if we have not placed our faith in you, that we would, that we would turn to you even this day. And if we have put our faith in you, that we would see so gloriously what you've done for us and how you saved us. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would be clear this morning, that we would let it speak for itself, and that we would uh, take great care to look at what it says. We thank you for all you've done for us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, as we look at this, as we go into this uh, Romans 3, and we're looking at the big picture of who we are, this is essentially the way I want to do it. First, who we are, and we've talked about that the last couple of weeks, made in God's image and then rebelling. But today I want to look at it who we are, the fullness of our sin. Right? That's, that's the first part, the fullness of who we are apart from Christ. Second, what the implications are on our lives. And then third, the beauty that comes from it when we see this all together. All right? So let's start with the, the who we are apart from Christ. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. What then? Are we Jews any better off? And Paul says, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And what Paul says here when he tells us all Jews and uh, Gentiles or Greeks here is what he says. Uh, when he uses that term Jews and Greeks, he's really saying everybody. 
Right? That's, that's his language to say everybody. Basically, the uh, religious and the irreligious, or the Jews and everybody else is kind of the way Paul's, Paul's uh, saying it. But what he's saying is that every single one of us is sinful, that there's no one righteous. There's no one who's lived a perfect life that can stand before God in righteousness because on, on his own, apart from Christ, none of us can do that. That we're all sinful and we all fall into that category. And I want you to remember what we've been saying. I've said this over and over. And I'll keep saying it. I'll probably say it about five times today. That sin is ignoring God and the world that he created. That's what sin is. It's when we ignore the God, the creator, and we go against what he's told us. That's what sin is. And when we start to think about that, uh, we're all guilty. Every single one of us falls into that category, and we're all in the same boat. This isn't uh, me lecturing you on your sinfulness. This is me with you saying we are all hopelessly lost in our sin. That's everybody. Every human being who's ever lived apart from Jesus Christ falls into that category, and that's all of us. And so we got that, and we even talked about that briefly last week. If you've been following along with the little... uh, Cards we've been putting in the bulletin that gives you a Bible verse and it gives you some questions and some a reading plan for reading through the Bible. Last week, the Bible verse was Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's a reason we put that in there because we were in Genesis 3 last week. And that's, that's what we see, that sin enters the world and we're all sinful. And if you sit here this morning, I don't want to just take that for granted and just say, okay, we're sinful and move on. If you're unsure about that. If you're unsure about the Christian teaching that we're all sinful, first I'd tell you, read Romans 1 through 3. Because it's it's pretty uh, uh, damning to all of us when you read what Paul writes in Romans 1 through 3. Because he goes through and systematically just shows where we've fallen and where we've turned from him and where we've ignored God and the world he's created. But I want to highlight one argument for you that Paul says in the middle of chapter 2 because I find... A lot of times, especially today, what we see is kind of a relativistic viewpoint on morality. Well, you say your thing and I'll say mine and, you know, don't tell me what the Bible says. I don't really care. Well, Paul kind of addresses even that argument right in the middle of Romans 2. And he says this in Romans 2, verses 15 and 16. He says, they show that the work of law of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And what Paul says is even if you grew up apart from the church, you've never heard what, what the Bible teaches, any of those things, that you're guilty before God, that your conscience bears witness to it. That you know innately because you were created in his image the things that you're to do and your conscience bears witness to that. There's a great analogy that Francis Schaeffer, if you know Francis Schaeffer is a great theologian, and he used this analogy often. Uh, he would tell the story about uh, the invisible tape recorder, if you've ever heard that before. And Schaeffer would say that it's like each one of us has an invisible tape recorder hanging around our neck. And every time that we go and we say to somebody, you shouldn't do this. Or you ought not do that. Or that's wrong. Each time we make a statement like that, the tape recorder clicks on and it records our voice saying, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. And, what it, and the way Schaefer says it is even if you never heard uh, God's word or you heard what, what God demands of us, that your conscience bears witness. And he says in, in judgment when you stand before God, you can say, well, I never knew. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know what God said. I didn't know what God told us about this or that. And Schaefer says and God could then take the tape recorder off your neck. And push play and there's your voice saying you shouldn't do this and you ought not do this and you'll be condemned by your own words because your conscience 
bears witness. And that's really part of the argument that Paul pulls into this. He says each and every one of us is sinful. Apart from Christ, there's no hope that we all condemn ourselves even by our own actions and words. And so what we've got, the first part of who we are is that we're all sinful. And we really hit on that even last week. But I really want us to go even deeper than that, to see the depths of our sinfulness, to really get to who we are apart from Christ. And there's two things that I want us to think about to go a little deeper. We need to see the importance of this truth of Scripture. Right? We've talked about a couple of weeks ago that we're created in God's image, and we are, but sin has so corrupted our being and who we are, it's gotten to the point that we are not good. That's what the Bible teaches. In and of ourselves, we're not good. And that's very hard to hear because our, our society says the opposite of that a lot of times. And what the scriptures teach, though, is that, the, that it's, it's so corrupted our being that we're not morally good, but we're morally bad by nature. That's our nature apart from Christ, that we're morally bad. Ephesians 2 says it this way. It says, by nature, we are children of wrath. Or in Colossians 3, it says that we are sons of disobedience. Right? That's a pretty good picture, sons of disobedience, just like our father, disobedience. Right? We're sons of disobedience. Or it says, um, or even right here in verse 9, it says, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. We are under sin. It reigns over us and in us and through us. We are, uh, I love the way uh, Dr. John Piper says that. He says, We are co conspirators with our sin against God. Sin is so in us and who we are that, that's, that uh, we're not good. In and of ourselves, morally, we're not good because sin has so pervaded who we are. And it's important that we see this because it's such a clear teaching of Scripture. And it's such a clear teaching of Scripture, but it goes so against the predominant view of our culture today because we say the opposite. We're pretty good. Man's pretty good. We're not that bad. We just make some mistakes now and then. We mess up every once in a while, and that's so detrimental to our understanding of our relationship with God when we do that. And we see it in all sorts of ways. We see it in uh, the ways we try to, um, the overemphasis we even put on politics. If we just get this guy elected, everything will be okay. If we just have the right laws and the right things and we outlaw the right things, then everything will be good. No, we'll, we'll still be sinful. We'll still be morally bad at the core. And unless Christ comes in and changes our hearts. Now, now don't misunderstand me. That's not a knock on all politics. Good laws can make better things, and it can help, but it can't change your heart. That's what I'm getting at. So we're still morally bad, but that you see the overemphasis on those things when we think, well, we're all pretty good, we just need some better guidance. Or we're all pretty good, we just need better education. If we just had better education, then we wouldn't be so evil and messed up and the world would be better. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It says it's a heart issue, and down at the very bottom that we're not good. And what happens is world religions, all world religions outside of Christianity hit on this in some ways. And let me explain what I mean by that. If you're pretty good, then what comes out of that logically is I can then contribute to my salvation. Right? And what you see in all world religions outside of Christianity is moral improvement. A plus if I do A, B and C, God will accept me. I'm pretty good. So I can I can contribute to my salvation. Uh, a great example is Islam. 
When you look at Islam, the five pillars of Islam, the first one is the oneness of God and Allah and the finality of Muhammad, right? So, so they're your faith part. You put your faith in who God is through what Muhammad's told us. That's what Islam says. But then the next four parts are you have to pray a certain amount of times a day. You have to give alms. You have to fast a certain amount each year. And then you have to go to Mecca. Your works, right? Here's your part. Here's what you add to your salvation. You do these things and earn good favor before God. And really what's under that is the assumption that we're naturally good and we can add to our salvation. You follow that? So if we miss this part of the Christian doctrine, it leads to all kinds of problems on the way uh, we, we operate and the way we view religion and what it is and what we're trying to accomplish. I was talking to my neighbor the other day who's, who's not a Christian, and we had a really great conversation about a lot of things. And uh, one of his questions was, well, why are so many people Muslims? You know, if Christianity is right, why are there so many Muslims or so many this or so many that? And we talked about some of the reasons. But then as I was studying this week and even thinking about this, it kept coming to mind some of the reasons. One reason we didn't talk about, and I think it is uh, a very valid reason, is when Adam and Eve sin and sin enters the world and we turn and we make it all about us. Right. All world religions, different religions, false religions that are apart from Jesus Christ are appealing to us as sinful people because they offer us. You can do part of it. Right. They kind of build us up. Hey, you can be part of your salvation. Do this, this and this and God will accept you. And they make it all about us, which plays right into who we are in the fallen world. We want to make it about us. And so I hadn't even thought about that when he and I talked about it. But you see that and you see I hope you see how that connects back to what we're talking about, how important it is that we view who we are apart from Christ, that we so, see so clearly our sin is so in us and through us. And so the question may, be, may come as I say that. So, so you're saying we can't contribute to our salvation. That's exactly what I'm saying. The only way you can contribute to your salvation is by admitting I can't contribute to my salvation. That's all we have to offer. God, I can't do this. We're just like the miners buried under three miles of dirt down there on our own. We can't do it. There's no getting out unless someone intercedes for us. And that's why this is so important that we see that. Because if we miss that, we get off on what the uh, remedy is. And that's what I was saying at the beginning. How we actually get out of our situation. If we think we're good and we can contribute, then we miss the whole beauty of the gospel. We miss it, what it all points at. We can't do it. We can't earn our salvation. And that's the first part that we have to see to really see to get to the depths of our sin. But there's one other part I want us to see. I've been saying this over and over. It's coming around why I keep saying it. That sin is ignoring God in the world that he created. And the reason I keep saying that and I keep pushing it kind of that way, showing you saying, let's, let's think about it that way, is we said at the beginning the whole story is about him. It's all about God. Right. And that this plays right into it. So then if sin is ignoring God and the world he created, then all sin, all our sin, every one of them is against God. And so many times we miss that and we make it. Well, I wronged this person over here, but they forgave me. So it's not that big of a deal. Right. And we and we kind of whittle it down and we make it. But all sin is against God. All of our sins are ignoring the God. In the, ignoring God and the world he created. And so when we think about that, anything we do apart from him, we, we say, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need God for this, is we're rebelling against him. 
We're ignoring him and the world he created. If I do something really great and I say, it's all about me, I did this. Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest, right? He said that all the time, I'm the greatest. And if he makes it all about him, think about what he's doing. Try for just a second, and we can't get there, to put yourself in God's shoes. And here you're watching your tiny created being down here on earth. And he says, I'm the greatest. What that looks like to God. Right? We're ignoring God and the world he created. So, so sin is not merely wronging someone else, although we sin against each other and we do those things, but ultimately it's against God. And, and until we see that, we miss the depths of our sin. Because like I said before, you can kind of, oh, it's not that bad. They forgave me. It's no big deal. And so what that leads us to is anything we do apart from God is not pleasing to him. I want you to think about that for a second. Uh, I'll give you an example. A doctor has a great breakthrough on a medicine. Right? They, they come up with a, they cure cancer or whatever it is, some wonderful breakthrough. And then they say, they, they're just this really humble person. They say, I don't want any credit. It's not about me. It's just about helping the people. But behind closed doors, the guy says, oh, I don't believe in God. It wasn't God. It was me. Right? Even though God is glorified in that breakthrough, right? And people are being helped and good things are happening. That person who's doing that is doing it ignoring God and they're not it's not pleasing to God do you see that you follow that all the way through even though they've done something that's helpful and good they in their heart is ignoring God and so what they're doing is it's ignoring it's sin it's not glorifying him it's going against what you were made for right that's what we said at the very beginning we're made in God's image to glorify to point others back to him and so when we miss that we, we miss the whole, you, you see how pervasive our sin is. Anything we do without giving it back to him and seeing it as a good gift from him is, is sin. And it's in everything, it's in us in every way. It's all through us, all through our being. All good, all good in your life, anything you do that is of value or good is God's grace. And it's a gift given to him, given from him to you. In and of ourselves, we can't do anything good apart from him. Right? We're, we're ignoring him in the world he created when we do that or when we try to do that. So there's nothing good in us. We are in complete and total rebellion against God apart from Jesus Christ. That's, that's the full picture of our sin. The full weight of that. And if you're unsure about that, look at verse 10 and 11 and 12. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands no one seeks God all have turned aside together they have become worthless no one does good not even one and then in verse 18 there is no fear of God before their eyes we've talked about this before but fear of God is a reverential awe of who he is and seeing that all things come from him and when we reject that nothing good comes from that we're in rejection. We're, we're ignoring him in the world he's created. And it's all through us and completely we're sinful. That's who we are when we reject God and apart from Jesus. That's, that's the fullness of the picture. And it's pretty bleak when you think about it. And I know this is a pretty weighty, kind of heavy, okay, we are just completely messed up. Completely and totally. They say, well, I'm so glad I got out of bed to come to church to hear how completely and totally messed up I am. But the reality is I want us to think about the implications for us and what that means for who we are. 
What it means is, first and foremost, is apart from Jesus, we've ruined our relationship with God and we can never repair it. We can never repair it. Look at verse 20, what Paul says. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And what Paul says is no one can earn his way back into God's good graces. None of us. No one. Ever. And the implication is pretty clear. What it's telling us is we've not only ruined our relationship with God, we can't please him apart from what he's done for us in Jesus. Our only hope is his grace on our behalf and nothing else. That's all we have to offer. So I said the only thing you can contribute is to say I can't contribute anything. Because sin is so in us and through us. But then that leads to the, the beauty that comes out of that. That's the implication for us. Pretty short. Yeah. Point two is a minute. Right? But point three, the, the, the part we get to here at the end is the good news. The beauty that comes out of when we understand the depths of our depravity and our sin. The good news is that we're so lost. Well, this isn't the good news, but this leads to the good news. We're so lost and we're so buried with no possibility of escape. There's so fullness of sin. We are just like the miners buried miles and miles underground that there's no way we can do it. But then the light breaks in. Right. Just like when those guys were rescued. They, you know, the, you can't even imagine the, uh, the beauty of that when the, the thing they had made, they made a shaft that went all the way down and those guys had to come up one by one and they see the light as they're coming up and breaking through and they're, they're rescued. It's the same thing when we get to the gospel, when we understand the depths of our depravity, but then the light breaks that God steps into the story and he comes after us and he says, I'll take your place. But not only will I take your place, I will open your eyes to see that I've taken your place. Even the fact that you see God, that you can even fathom what he's done for you in Jesus, is God's doing. It's the Holy Spirit coming in and convicting and allowing you to see that. So even you seeing it is God doing it. And all the way along the way, every single part of it, he opens your eyes. He's the one that saves you. He takes the wrath that you deserve. Our disobedience is so full that God's wrath rests on us apart from Christ. And Jesus says, I will come and do it and I will restore you and I will return you to my full glory. You'll be my image bearers again through what I've done for you. And it's not until you get the fullness of I don't have anything to offer and I am so in my sin that you see the fullness of the beauty of what Christ has done for you. So I, I, I prayed all week as I thought about this and uh, I kept coming back to this as, I hope you feel the weight of your sin this morning. And I know that sounds really harsh. I hope you feel the fullness of your rebellion against God, but to this end. First and foremost, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus as the only means of salvation, I hope you feel the weight of your sin so that you see how important it is that you turn from your sin and you renounce all forms of self-salvation. I can't do this. I know how sinful I am and I can't do this. And that leads you to, to want to replace your unrighteousness with Christ's righteousness and what he's done for you. And if you feel that today, you feel the weight of your sin and you know that and you've never made that decision, I pray this morning that you feel the full weight of it so that you turn to Christ and you put your faith in him. Because he takes all of it. Immediately, he takes all of it and he says, you get my righteousness and now you're made perfect in God's sight. 
And I hope you feel the weight for that. But if you're a Christian, I don't want you to dwell on your sin. I don't want you to dredge up old sins and feel really guilty. But I want you to feel the weight of it so you see the beauty of what Christ has done for us. That you feel the weight of your sin. That you see that your sin is rejecting God in the world He created. That your sin is against Him so that when you see the beauty of what Christ has done for you, you are overwhelmed. That you can't believe that He would come and do that for you. Just like we sang this morning, it was my sin that held Him there. That you see that clearly. That it was your sin. That it was my sin that held Him on the cross and you rejoice that you walk out of here so excited about what he's done for you because you can't do it yourself. Right? I'm done. (laughs) That's my ending. But uh, Normally I like to pray right at the end, but this morning we're going straight to prayers of the people. And what we do in prayers of the people is we just stop and we have a time where we we pray together. I'm going to give you a moment to pray, but this morning if you'll notice... In your bulletin, it actually says uh, prayers of repentance.